Wait, that's a thing? Never heard of it. Oh, you have no idea. This is Haven Space, a safe place for fantasies. Brought to you by sex coach and researcher Sarah Perry. Hi folks, this is Sarah Perry and today we are going to be discussing consensual power exchanges, otherwise known as BDSM. By the end of this podcast, you should know what BDSM is, what it isn't, where to find it, how to prepare for it, how to go about making this happen for yourself using all of the consent. Yes, there is a ton of consent that goes along with BDSM, uh, respect and pleasure yes pleasure that our bodies are worthy and capable of so first we should begin from the beginning how long has this been going around in fact we think that bdsm is so old that there are terms that refer to it in cave paintings in forms of punishment and then sex happening at the same time but how do we know that it officially started well we don't except for the fact that all of society has always had some form of sexuality and some form of corporal punishment and it tends to be that these behaviors that are most dramatic and gruesome and disgusting and exciting end up becoming the things that are most arousing so it makes perfect sense that they would go together so when we talk about things like sadism and masochism which are probably kind of really out there when it comes to BDSM, they're kind of the more edgy stuff. We're talking about people who have marked history of liking to inflict pain and to have pain inflicted upon them. Specifically, um, sadism comes from the name Marquis, the Marquis de Sade, who had written copious, copious letters and stories about parties that he would throw that nowadays could pretty much be considered abuse, where he tortured people while he was fucking them. And that term gave birth to the use of sadism. Similarly, Leopold von Sacher Maysock in the 1700s loved to have things done to him to inflict pain on him during sexual intercourse. And therefore, in the late 1800s, with the start of the pathologization of sex and of human behavior, the birth of psychology and the birth of sex studies. Richard von Kraft Ebing uh, did in fact write in Psychopathia Sexualis, sado, Sadism and Masochism, and in fact coined the term. But if being subjected to kind of rigorous judgmental analysis about why we like the kinky shit we like isn't enough, we then decided to write an entire uh, diagnostic and statistical manual that is used in psychology and psychiatry to diagnose and treat these types of quote-unquote dysfunctions. So in fact, even homosexuality was considered a dysfunction and um, being a cross-dresser was considered a dysfunction and being trans was considered a dysfunction until the amazing organization called the Coalition for Sexual Freedom got a bunch of people together, including people in sex research and in psychology and in psychiatry and, of course, lawyers, because why would we not absolutely need lawyers to go to court and change the definition in the DSM. So the DSM-5, the most current version of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, 
actually says that none of these behaviors are considered dysfunctions unless they come with marked distress. Ironically, as people, we don't exhibit marked distress unless we are ostracized by our society. So in the past, we would kick people out of our societies if they behaved in ways that were inappropriate. In the present, we bully them or we make sure they have no friends to sit with at lunchtime in high school cafeterias. And these are our own forms of expulsion from our society that becomes so conflicting and guess what they could cause marked distress so the best way to prevent people's behaviors and likes and kinks and inclinations from becoming things that affect their life negatively is to avoid taking them away from community and to give them people who make them feel loved and respected and teach them empathy and show them empathy and that is how we can prevent these elements of marked distress. So a lot of times when we talk about BDSM, we talk about kind of this edgier part that I've gone on, right? Inflicting actual pain. And by inflicting actual pain, um, we can go anywhere from someone who's humiliating you in public by yelling at you, um, maybe in a way that you feel specifically degraded it could be being told that your penis is tiny and that you could never satisfy someone it could be being told that you are a loser and will never accomplish anything and it can go from all of these kind of like super bully um psychological factors to something that is much more physical in fact a local dominatrix that i'm hoping to have an interview for you with very soon has told me that she has had clients specifically have come in to have their um, hands and feet nailed to a board in, in forms of um, crucifixions. And this is something that they find extremely, extremely arousing. A common misconception, it was my biggest misconception before I got into sex studies, is that for some reason, everything that falls into consensual power exchanges and BDSM is there because we are turned on by it because it's going to make us come and there's something that's so edgy for us that it would driving our minds crazy and we absolutely have to feel it but it's not actually the case a lot of times people engage in consensual power exchanges simply because they find joy in having these things done to them or in doing these things to other people and all of these things are completely acceptable it turns out we have hypersexualized the bdsm community to give you a great example i was watching a um a kind of show that they were doing on different kinks and the bdsm lifestyle and this was at a sex conference mind you so all of these people were coming to give sex educators and sex researchers and sex therapists a first-hand account of what their experience is like and we had people come dressed as puppies and horses and other people were kind of their handlers and would show them around and maybe pet them scratch them while they walked around with masks and harnesses and leashes and my biggest question that came up over and over and over again was, what part of this turns you on? Is this, would you go home and masturbate after? Is this something you're having sex in? Are you role-playing bestiality scenarios? And it turned out that no, most of the time, people were genuinely enjoying the dress-up culture. And I couldn't help but have an epiphany that perhaps the things that love 
that bring out the most love in us and that we love the most are the games that we played as children that now we can absolutely no longer in a reasonable environment engage in. It would be completely unacceptable for an adult to be, even with his child, even with his own child, playing in a public playground pretending to be a puppy and being scratched and petted. We would consider that completely out of norm, but really we should allow ourselves the freedom and the joy of having these experiences that brought us so much excitement as children even in a very mild non-sexual way and perhaps if we had those experiences we wouldn't feel confined to say the kink community for example something else you should know is that the kink community is in fact very very accepting most people in the kink community are free kink and would allow anybody of any kind of fetish or kink to join in their environment. There have been some studies of some things that we consider, quote, too kinky for kink that have more to do with effluvia play and with things like um, period blood. A lot of times people think that like red wings are the idea that you having oral sex on a person that is on their period is considered very very erotic and some people find it completely disgusting a lot of times this type of behavior is specifically not acceptable in kink clubs so it's something interesting to consider how even people who have basically very free boundaries have other boundaries that are very rigid we all have boundaries and they ebb and flow with our experiences but it's important to know the community and the environment you're in if you are engaging in these kinds of behaviors for the first time so that you don't make other people uncomfortable and push yourself to a place where you're even more on the outside and have even more of that marked distress that we are so much trying to avoid I should mention that I like to use the term consensual power exchanges simply because BDSM has a very damaging connotation to it. We have an idea that BDSM always comes with a person being abused. Even if they like it, we consider it to be a form of abuse. But when we use consensual power exchanges, we are marking the part that is the most important is that consent is super important in this type of dynamic. So this brings me to a very interesting part of consensual power exchanges, and that is the form of rituals. In fact, couples that engage in kink report having better sex lives. Why would that be? Well, I don't think it's related to kink as much as it is related to just the fact that they have developed rituals. Rituals that set expectations, that set foreplay up, that set things in motion in a way that at least kind of long-term consensually monogamous relationships tend not to have. So think about this. Typically, a BDSM interaction, a consensual power exchange interaction would have something along the lines of a consent contract where you discuss what you're comfortable with and this varies every day because the things that you're comfortable with vary every day and then you say something that you're comfortable with doing they may say something they'd like to try you may say yes or no and after you've agreed to these things a lot of times you set up a safe word well safe words have become really really popularized through tv and are understandable a lot of times for a lot of things in the case of specifically um 
masochism, if it's a person that is allowing someone to injure them physically, then yeah, having a quick way to say, whoa, you need to stop that may really come in handy. But like I've suggested in a bunch of my other podcasts, if you've heard them, I prefer to use the traffic light system because we are statistically less likely to use a word that means please stop everything you're doing immediately and get off than we are to use a word that says oh can you slow down or don't go so deep or something along those lines so that you can actually change maybe the rhythm of the interaction without calling the interaction off completely that feels a little bit too much like rejection especially when we're with someone we really like and i would say i would go a step further as to mention that in a situation where you're dominant submissive or dom sub then potentially as a submissive you would be even less likely to make them stop because you realize you're stepping out of your role into a role of self-care which as a submissive you're supposed to be kind of leaving in the hands of your dominant we use terms like dob and sum and top and bottom and bdsm but really they don't actually mean exactly the same thing so a dominant person a submissive person the dominant person would be the one doing the action the submissive person is the one receiving it these roles can kind of change inside of a sexual interaction for example all of a sudden if the submissive person um, is giving a massage the dominant person is receiving a massage because they have ordered the sub to do it, they would still stay inside of those roles depending on the situation. If it's still sexual and the submissive person is doing it out of um, kind of agreeing to do something for the other person, it stays dob some roles. But when you're talking about tops and bottoms, you are specifically talking about who is performing the action. So the person who was submissive has now become the top just because they're giving a massage and the other person is receiving the action so don't get too confused with technicalities but if you don't know don't use the terms if you don't know be like i was receiving a massage because i asked for it instead of making yourself look stupid to people in the community because you're very new a lot of times these communities have very 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 established um kind of circles and their conversation tends to be very established and they can really tell when you're new so when you walk into one of these environments let them know that you're new and ask them what their typical behavior arrangements are and any boundaries they may have other examples of rituals would be like a good morning text or permission to do something i've heard of a lot of people who are in dominant submissive relationships where the sub would do something such as asked if ask if they can go out with their friends um sometimes refer to the dom as daddy if the dom is a woman or plays a feminine role a lot of times they'll go by uh vixen or something like dominatrix or mistress and there's different specific titles for people so that they can engage in these rituals of continuing to achieve dominance every time you speak to them if you're engaged in sex and the person who is dominant has a masculine role they could like i mentioned be called daddy they could be called sir in these ways or master even in these ways we are continuously giving the other partner permission to continue to dominate us and in fact are calling out that persona that the person is exhibiting and reminding them this is where you take me this is where i submit to you and it can become really erotic and part of the ritual of building this kind of dominance 
Another rule may be kneeling, a specific arrival greeting, um, wearing a collar could be super, super common, shaving. Almost every single thing that we do in the ritual of preparation for a date becomes a ritual to the dominant and submissive as well. Um, Maybe the dominant would be the person that shaves the other one and that could become sexual that way, maybe waxing. In fact, hot wax is super common and is kind of an intro to BDSM because hot wax is not necessarily painful, but the different sensations and temperature can be very arousing, similar with ice. Different punishments can be a form of ritual where, for example, you could be belted for saying something wrong or even for asking your partner to stop what they're doing or for using the safe word could be its own type of punishment. Um... And I'm using the term punishment as we would use it colloquially, not in the form of psychology where punishment would mean to do something so you don't do it again. This could actually be you could do it on purpose to get punished and it works the same way. Um, Another huge part of the dominant submissive relationship dynamic is after consent negotiations, after the act is done, acts of self-care and nourishment are very important and they're typically pre-established as well. Typically, a person, for example, who has just uh, pierced needles through their partner's skin after removing the needles will then stroke their body softly with a rag, um, pet their head, kiss them. A lot of times, these emotions that come up during intense physical distress can become very vulnerable in ways that are more emotional than physical and then it's up to the dominant person to negotiate those emotions in ways that feel safe i've seen um for example people do bondage and by bondage we mean anything that has to do with tying somebody up and being tied so tight and they're hanging sometimes shibari would involve a lot of hanging and kind of um what we call suspension and in these suspensions a lot of times people go into some type of trance where they're so focused on the physical sensations that they become into a different level of consciousness when you're coming back out from those moments you need emotional support and yes emotional support can definitely come from someone who is dominant if you go back to what it was like being a child the very birth of our sexuality is related to our parents having control over us we rebel against our parents but we demand that they put us back in our place so to say this does not mean i'm condoning parents being disrespectful or physical with their children means that children fight boundaries to feel where the seatbelt is and they depend on parents bringing them back from them pushing those boundaries and this can be done in many ways we're not having a parenting conversation but attachment parenting and having a deep detailed conversation about why that was wasn't okay and having one-on-one specific attention to tackle problems is similarly a form of punishment it is something that makes someone less likely to do something again so when we consider the way we discipline our kids and what kids were and how they are and how you were as a child you start to realize that we continue to have patterns about our arousal that stems from the very early beginnings of us 
Remember that so many of our kinks are actually related to the first times we felt aroused. And arousal as children tends to look like fear, tends to feel like intimidation, tends to feel like uncertainty. And then these things later translate into kinks. If you picture that thing that you come to in your mind when you're about to orgasm, that is the edgiest thing you get. A lot of times it's rooted in some marked moment in your childhood. So take some time to do a little exercise and play with that. So I want to just say I have to be wrapping this up pretty soon and I do expect to expand on this subject later with more specific kinks, but this is basically my BDSM overview. Um, That things like edge play where you would be choking somebody uh, where you would have something wrapped around your neck all of these things have to be done with risks being mitigated and most of the time that means do not do it by yourself we lose a lot of people to uh, autoerotic asphyxiation and there is no reason for that when there are people out there who are more than willing and aroused by helping you do this for yourself and could save your life by taking a belt off your neck when you become unconscious, for example. Uh, If you would like to find out more about BDSM and kink lifestyles, I suggest that you get on FetLife, which which is very much like Facebook, but for kinky people and people share pictures of themselves, share videos of themselves. You pay a subscription to FetLife to have access to people's videos, but you have self-made consensual porn that is readily available by people who want to share it for you for free because they want to and it turns them on and you have the ability to connect and talk to these people and have conversations they also have um, narratives and people can write stories about their experiences and some can be fictional and some can be real and they can write poetry about it and it's a whole other edgy artsy way to be kinky and to get into porn so why not do it how to prepare do a lot of research have a lot of conversations about boundaries go light listen to podcasts like mine like podcasts about kink and fetishism talk to older adults who have been in the kink lifestyle for a while as they give you advice take it with a grain of salt because we are all writing our own adventure so make sure you're focusing on consent and respect Make sure you set up a traffic light system or a safe word. If you think you're going to use it, you won't. Don't use a safe word. And make sure you are aware and consensual during all of this, which means that you are not drunk, that you are not doing copious amounts of drugs that put you in a different state. Not only because you're not really consenting, but also because when you're walking the edge, you want to make sure that you are aware of what your body needs and when so you don't accidentally get hurt. So to give you a recap, this talk was about consensual power exchanges, aka BDSM, and you were told what it is, what it isn't, why it turns people on, why it doesn't, but it's still okay to do joyful kinky things for no reason, where it comes from, who coined these terms, and what they like to do, the DSM-5 and the way that we politicize our kinks, fetishes, and psychology, marked to stress how to avoid it, what to do to be safe, and how rituals have become an amazing part of happy and healthy sex lives. So this has been Sarah Perry, and thanks for listening.
This has been another podcast of Haven Space. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Haven Space by Sarah and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Haven Space by Sarah. If you enjoyed this talk, consider becoming a patron and helping fund more talks like this in the future.